Hello, Health Investor. Welcome to another episode of the Health Investment Podcast. Today, you're going to hear from Daniel Rosenthal. Daniel is a certified professional trainer and nutrition coach who, after working years with clients in person, now works as an online weight loss coach. He used to be an overweight chain smoker, at one point smoking 40 cigarettes every day while barely touching a vegetable. Daniel decided to clean up his act. He quit smoking, started studying nutrition, and learned about fitness. He has since dropped 40 pounds of body fat and built 20 pounds of muscle, now helping his clients achieve similar results. In the episode, Daniel shares why he sometimes measures his heart rate while walking to get into zone two, the biggest mistakes he sees people making when trying to lose weight, what to do when you don't feel motivated to meal prep or exercise, and more. Before we get to the episode, I quickly want to share one of my favorite resources with you, thrivemarket.com. I don't know about you, but I used to think eating healthy meant I had to spend a lot of time and money at the grocery store. That is until I discovered Thrive Market. Thrive is an online grocery shopping platform that's essentially a mix of Costco, Whole Foods, and Amazon. Since Thrive delivers groceries directly to your door, they're able to cut out all middle people and heavily discount their inventory. When I buy groceries on Thrive versus going to my local supermarket, I save at least $20 per order. And I'm able to fill up my cart from the comfort of my couch. To read my full Thrive Market review, steal my shopping list of over 150 items, and save additional money on your first order, visit thehealthinvestment.com slash thrivemarket, or just click through the link in the show notes. And one more thing, if you've been dieting for years, but nothing has helped you keep the weight off long-term, I'm so glad you're hearing this right now because outside of hosting this podcast, I spend my time helping people lose weight for good in both my group and one-on-one coaching programs. Unlike extreme restrictive diets that only provide short-term results, I help you master the skill of everything in moderation so you can finally lose 5 to 50 pounds permanently, feel completely in control of your cravings and less snacky between meals, have steady energy throughout the day, and show up as the healthiest, happiest version of yourself. To learn more about my programs, visit thehealthinvestment.com or follow me on Instagram at thehealthinvestment. All right, it's time to hear from Daniel. Enjoy. I'm Brooke Simonson, certified nutrition coach and your host of the Health Investment Podcast. If you're ready to look and feel your best without any confusion, frustration, or stress, you're in the right place. Each week, I interview experts and share no-nonsense, research-backed tips so that you can finally lose weight for good, eat healthy long-term, have the high energy you crave, and feel like a million bucks. I'm so happy you're here with me today. Don't forget to hit subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Hi, Daniel. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Health Investment Podcast. My pleasure. 
I was telling you, I am a huge fan, maybe a super fan, if you will, (laughs) of your Instagram content. And I'm sure if anyone listening follows me on Instagram, they've probably seen me reposting some of your content to my stories because you just have such a clear and concise way of sharing evidence-based information relating to nutrition and weight loss and cardio and strength training. So I'm very excited to dive into all of those topics today. Well, thank you so much for saying that. I really appreciate that. What led you to become a weight loss coach in the first place? Yeah, so weight loss is like it's my specialty, as I'm sure you, you know, and um, that is mostly due to my personal experience. So in my early 20s, which was a long time ago now, um, I was not in great shape. I didn't exercise. I didn't eat any nutritious food. I was a 40-a-day chain smoker at one point. That's two four-packs of cigarettes I was smoking at one point. Um, wow. I realized, you know, what a ridiculous um, way of living um, that was. So the first thing I did was to quit smoking. And that obviously took me several attempts, but I quit smoking. And then, you know, once I was no longer, you know, coughing my lungs up every morning, I was able to then start moving and start exercising. Um, I was able to play with my nutrition. I made a ton of mistakes along the way, um, slowly figured things out. But I eventually lost, you know, somewhere around 40 pounds of body fat. And I gained about 20 to 25 pounds of muscle. And, you know, it's the, the weight loss and just seeing all the mistakes that I made um knowing what now works for most people what doesn't work for most people um and just basically not wanting people to make the same mistake that i made that was why Mm. i decided to become a a weight loss coach i experienced a lot of what you described in your Mm. 20s of i gained about 20 pounds after college and really had no idea why and couldn't Mm -hmm. make sense of it and i did all the fad diet juice cleanse detox Mm. stuff that everybody does, you know, excessive cardio at the gym. I basically lived on the elliptical Mm -hmm. and I didn't see lasting results. And it was just so, so frustrating. And I just kind of decided that I was meant to be the weight I was. And maybe that's part of a slowing metabolism or aging, or I Mm. couldn't figure it out. Uh, But then after a lot of research and eventually coursework to become a certified nutrition coach, I did figure it out, but I can totally relate to your struggle and then wanting to help people not go through that same struggle because I think a lot of people listening may be in the thick of that right now. And it's not Mm. fun. It's just no, it's terrible, really frustrating. And it's extremely confusing because you're seeing all of these messages and people are, especially now in social media, saying things with such gusto and as if, it's their way or the highway. Hmm. I realized when you were speaking, you said the word most a lot, most people, most Hmm. people. So can you just, can you explain why you're not saying all people? (laughs) Right. And like, you know, that's, that's partly why I have in my Instagram bio, I have the phrase flexible approach because there literally is not one size fits all approach to people. Like the only thing that you need to do to actually lose weight is to be in a calorie deficit, which basically means you're consuming fewer calories than you burn. Like that's like the only non-negotiable thing that has to happen just for weight loss. But everything else is like pretty much depends on your lifestyle and like your abilities and like where you are right now. So 
you know, you don't have to do three strength workouts per week. Maybe you just do like one strength workout for a week, a week per now, and then you, and you work on that. Like maybe getting whatever, like 10 to 12,000 steps isn't realistic for you, but maybe getting like six or seven is. So, you know, that's why I don't have like the Rosenthal method or like the Rosen training mm. method, whatever you want to call it, because, you know, like there is no method, like everything is different for each person. When you speak to potential clients on calls, mm. do they find that perplexing? Because <laughs> I, I have the same approach and it's hard sometimes to describe because I think people are so used to getting a prescription from mm. keto, let's say, or yep. a meal plan or, you know, drink these juices a certain number of times a day. So when mm. you say something like it's a flexible approach and we'll have to see what works for you, yeah, do people have a hard time with that? Um. At first, yeah, but I think at this point, most people who actually reach out to me for for coaching have spent like at least a few weeks, if not a few months or a year or two, consuming my content. So mm-hmm. they know at that point that like I speak, I speak, you know, it's, it's a weird combination of both very specific things, but also kind of vague things. Like I say, like, here's a range of things to aim for, um, seven to 10,000 steps per day three to five workouts a week or even two to five workouts per week. Um, and, and I'm I'm like, I say, you know, eat vegetables. Like that's as specific as I am when it gets to like exactly what you need to be eating, you know, eat more protein. Here are a bunch of options for you. So I guess people can see from what I post, I hope that I am not saying that they have to follow one very rigid way of doing things. Um, so, so yeah, less so now, but yeah, at the beginning, and especially when I was a trainer in person, people were pretty shocked because they just weren't aware of my Instagram page. And like, I did used to be a personal trainer until the pandemic put a stop to that. So when mm-hmm. I would talk to people about weight loss, like in person, and they had never seen a single thing that I'd posted on Instagram before, they were sometimes pretty shocked when I said, well, you can eat carbs and you can have the occasional drink. That's fine. Right. What do you find that most people are doing wrong when they come to you or have been doing wrong in the past when trying to lose weight? Hmm. So generally speaking, this is what I see like people doing um, wrong. It's, there are two main things. The first one is relying on exercise. Like you touched mm-hmm. on that before, like just living on the elliptical basically. And the second thing I see people doing is undereating. Like thinking that, oh, to lose weight, you have to eat 1,200 calories, for example. that's that. I don't know how that became the number, but it seems to be. That's the number that people always talk about when it comes to weight loss. And, and you know, yeah, like that might work for some people, like smaller people who are close to like 110, 120 pounds, but who might be pretty short, like 4'11 or 5 feet tall. So for them, like very small people, they need fewer calories. But for the rest of us, even somebody who is average sized would probably need way more than 1200 calories to lose weight. Mm-hmm. Can you touch on the exercise for weight loss piece and why that's mm. not the best approach? Yeah. Um, it's super difficult to create a calorie deficit by exercising. It's like really hard. It takes a ton of time. So like, you know, Let's say for whatever reason, somebody decided that they were going to eat at maintenance, but they were going to exercise and burn approximately 500 calories. Well, to burn 500 calories for an average sized person, that's a five mile run. 
And like, you mm. know, you don't do that every day. And like, even if you try, how long is that going to last? Mm-hmm. It's so much easier to create a calorie deficit. Sorry, it's not easier. It's so much simpler and it's mm-hmm. so much more sustainable to create a calorie deficit through your nutrition. Right. And then use exercise as sort of the accessory, which can also help you feel better mentally and feel stronger and feel more motivated to eat well, all the awesome things, Mm. but it's not your go-to. Yeah. Like just to clarify, like exercise obviously burns calories and like exercise will obviously contribute to your weight loss. Like there's, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, you know, if you want to develop a healthy relationship with exercise, then you don't exercise because it burns calories. You exercise for all the other benefits. So like you do cardio because it's really great for your health. You go on walks because it's great for stress and um, it's really good to help you recover from workouts. You strength train because you want to get stronger and you want to preserve your muscle by eating in a calorie deficit, which incidentally is how you get that toned look by lifting weights while eating in a calorie deficit. Because if you don't lift weights, you might you might lose some muscle. In fact, you almost certainly will lose muscle if you don't lift weights while you're eating that calorie deficit. And losing muscle seems to be why your metabolism can slow down so much when you're in a calorie deficit. And you know what? Whatever you do in a calorie deficit, whatever way you're training or eating, your metabolism will slow down. But that's only because there's less of you by the end. And mm. like, if there's less of you, you require fewer calories. Right. I don't know about you, but that one of the biggest mindset shifts I had in terms of my own weight loss and maintenance was exactly what you said about exercise being awesome for all of the things, Mm. just not thinking I'm exercising to burn calories I ate or that I plan to eat. And that used to be the pretty much sole reason, you know, (laughs) there's memes or there would be the phrase of, I exercise so I can eat whatever I want. Mm. Or that was kind of the mentality I was in of, I want to be able to enjoy wine and mm. indulgences. And so therefore I have to work out 45 minutes a day on the elliptical. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was always either retroactively burning something off yep. or <laughs> burning off future calories. And I think, I think some, Maybe as a culture, we've broken out of that a bit because Mm. I do think the message, at least in the people I follow, the message is being spread of, you know, more focus on exercise for, like you said, your mental health or recovery Mm. or uh, all the other things. Get stronger. Yeah. And now anytime I do strength training or go for a walk, I'm never bringing into the equation, you know, I'm doing this to burn calories or to earn some food I hope to eat in the future. Mm. Um, And I just think that tiny mindset shift can be such a huge kind of eye opener and so helpful. And that's, you know, that's my biggest problem with these fitness trackers. Like I wear an Apple watch, but I've Mm -hmm. customized the home screen so that I can't see how many calories it's telling me that I burned. And I've actually went into the settings and I've changed it. So if I want to track an outdoor walk, for example, so I only use it so I can monitor my heart rate, by the way, not for the calories and so I can track my steps. If I want to monitor my heart rate when I'm doing some cardio, I have actually turned off the feature where it tells you how many calories you're burning as you do it. Because I don't want to see that information because I know that even for me, even though I know that it's wrong, 
which by the way, all fitness trackers are wrong when it tells you how many calories they burn, some by up to like 50%, like in the wrong direction. Um, they're overestimating, in other words. I know that that number is still going to affect me in some way. And I just don't mm-hmm. want to see it. I want to have on my little watch face when I'm looking at it, okay, so your your average pace is this, your average heart rate right now is this, your current heart rate right now is this, um, and this is how long you've been exercising for. That's all I want to know. I don't really care. Mm-hmm. I don't care about my calories. It's it's irrelevant. And it's that is how you develop an unhealthy relationship with exercise by doing it purely, as you said, for for the calorie burn and also to punish yourself on those inevitable like Saturday or Sunday mornings when you've eaten more than you intended to the previous night. You get on the scale. The scale is up. By the way, it's not fat gain. I'm sure we'll come on to that later on. And now you think, oh, damn, now I have to try to burn off all those calories I did, that I had ate yesterday and now you're using exercise as punishment and that is not how you're going to look forward to workouts or how you're going to stay consistent with workouts long term and exercise can be challenging enough to get get yourself to do right (laughs) like I often do not look forward to my strength training routine because I know it's going to burn and it's 20 to 30 minutes but still I'm not always jumping up and down excited to do Mm. it and then if I'm also attaching to it that I'm punishing myself because of something I ate, Precisely. I'm going to be far less likely to actually do it. Yeah. And like in that case, you, I'm sure that you're thinking about those long-term benefits. You're thinking, okay, well, if I do this now in, you know, 40 or 50 years, I may still be pretty damn independent in my old age mm-hmm. and enjoy my life and have a good quality of life. And it's also the saying of you never regret exercise once it's over, right? You yes. always feel really good for sure <laughs> not necessarily during but yeah when it's done yeah and if you, and if you don't feel good there's probably a problem with the workout right right yeah you mentioned measuring your heart rate on your mm. apple watch when you're walking and i think a lot of people measure steps and i mm. think that's kind of fun to gamify right yeah steps and maybe you're even in a step challenge with a partner or a friend or there's one going on at work. I think that can be a really fun way to do it. And I love the Mm -hmm. idea of taking the calories off. Uh, But why do you measure your heart rate when you're walking? I don't always. This is very specifically only if I want to turn a small amount of my daily step time or like just basically if I want to do a cardio workout that is basically walking, like brisk walking, or maybe I have like a light dumbbell in my backpack to make it more intense. Now, I'm not doing that because the daily steps that I aim for should be like that. That is absolutely not Mm -hmm. the point. The vast majority of my steps I have not using my Apple Watch. I'm not looking at my heart rate. I'm just basically thinking, okay, let me go for like a nice leisurely walk for half an hour. I ignore heart rate. I ignore everything. But two or three times per week, I will want to do some cardio. And I don't like running. Running doesn't feel good to me, so I don't run. Um, But I do really enjoy brisk walking. And and I enjoy doing some other form of cardio. Or maybe I enjoy what's called rucking, where you put a light dumbbell in your backpack. Um, and you go for a walk because obviously the extra weight makes it more difficult. And so I will do 30 to 60 minutes of that kind of exercise two or three times per week. And I want to track my heart rate to make sure I'm in the best zone for that. But like all other times, so basically 95 plus percent of the time where I'm out walking, I'm ignoring my heart rate. I'm not going super quickly. I'm just doing it for the, the joy of walking and to, de- to de-stress from um, you know, a, a, like a pretty busy day and to help me recover from workouts too. 
Right. I think it's really cool, though, that you bring this up because maybe somebody has never thought about the idea that they can use more brisk walking as a mm. form of cardio. And it doesn't it, have to be running or the Peloton or the rowing machine. Mm. Are you talking about getting into zone two? Yes. So like zone okay. two cardio, which which is like, I've heard it from enough a few coaches recently, and then I've started talking about it before, um, recently on Instagram. Zone two cardio is, is where you work at 60 to 70% of your maximum heart rate. And so you can estimate your maximum heart rate by deducting your age from 220. So 220 minus age is your estimated max heart rate. And I emphasize estimated max heart rate because it, right. your max heart rate will vary according to how fit you are, um, how conditioned you are. Um, I guess your, your weight as well. I guess it could impact that as well. Um, but it's a good estimate. And so you can then work out 60 to 70% of your max heart rate. And then that's what you aim for to when you're doing zone two cardio, which again, like two to three times per week for 30 to 60 minutes is plenty. Yeah, that's cool. And at the same time, you can be listening to a podcast. Absolutely, or yeah. Music, probably harder to talk to somebody, right? Is it? Well, that's, probably the, that's, a little the, bit. that's the interesting thing about zone two cardio. It shouldn't actually feel like you're huffing and puffing. If you okay. are within you, your you know your zone two your 60 to 70 percent you should actually be able to hold a conversation with somebody who's walking next to you without you feeling that your breathing rate increasing like you can you obviously your breathing rate will have increased because you're working mm -hmm. harder but it's it shouldn't have increased so much that just talking will like increase it even further mm -hmm. if that Got makes it. sense yeah. Yeah. No. So, okay, great. Then you could call somebody on the phone. Damn straight you could, yeah. You're killing two <laughs> birds with one stone. Yeah. I'm always trying to figure out how can you, I've said the word gamify, but make something more fun, right? Or yeah. save your favorite podcast for when you're out on your walk. So, you for know, sure. I can only listen to it when I'm on my walk. So I got to go do mm. my walk because I can't wait to hear this new episode. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Like this one, for example, yeah. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah. I'm sure everyone's is this one. So, <laughs> <laughs> what some of my clients actually do for to when they're going on their walks. Now, this is not their zone two cardio walks or any kind of cardio. This is them just going outside, getting their getting their steps, getting their seven to ten thousand steps per day. Um, they will take work calls on their phone, mm -hmm. or maybe if they have a meeting where they have to be listening but not contributing, then they will go on a walk then. Right. Just a nice leisurely walk. And if they are asked to speak, they're walking slowly enough. Again, they're not going for their zone two cardio. They're not doing a workout while they're on their calls. Um, but like for their for their meetings, they'll just walk around. Or some of them, if, if the weather's so cold, they'll walk around the house. Yeah, I love that. Uh, I sometimes when I'm talking with a client, a one on one client, They'll hmm. say, is it okay if I go for a walk? And I'm like, yes, <laughs> go for a walk on this call. That's a great idea. You know, That's just awesome. let's do as much as we can. Get the for most sure. bang for your buck, right? Exactly. Out of your minutes of the day. You mentioned that some people maybe will see the scale, let's say on a Saturday morning. And on Friday, mm. they've gone out with friends and they've yep. had some alcohol and then mm. they've been at a restaurant. So why might the scale number go up? overnight and what should people do about that mm. so yeah so this happens all the time to people like if you were to track if, if nobody if somebody listening has never tracked 
their weight on a daily basis. So first thing in the morning, when you wake up after you pee, you'll notice that every day your weight's different. I mean, it might stay the same like a couple of days, but generally speaking, it's going to fluctuate up and down. Um, and it's super common for weight to fluctuate up and for then somebody to get really worried, think they messed up and then drop their calories for the day. And that leads to all kinds of problems. So let's first of all, just like realize that if you if your nutrition was on point the previous day, any increase on the scale is only water weight. It can't be fat gain because you were in a calorie deficit the previous day. So it's only water weight. And there are a bunch of things that can cause water gain. So we have, you know, you mentioned going to a restaurant. Maybe you had saltier food than usual. So salt will cause you to hold on to extra water. Okay. Um Maybe you had more carbs than you usually eat. Maybe you had a little bit more sugar than you usually eat. Again, both of those things cause you to hold on to water. Um, maybe the previous day you had a really tough workout or maybe you did a new workout. So a tough workout or a new workout will require more recovery than usual. So what your body does is it sends a bunch of water and nutrients to those affected muscles to help them recover. And obviously, if there's extra water in your muscles, you're going to weigh a little bit more the next day. So it is just water weight. Um, then we have more hormonal reasons for weight gain. So like maybe, you know, for, you know, if it's your time of the month, there is a time during during your cycle where your weight's going to spike because the hormones that are released are going to cause you to hold on to more water. And again, that's very normal. Um, maybe you had a poor night's sleep. So if you slept poorly, that's a form of stress. And when your body is stressed, it releases the hormone cortisol. And the cortisol is a water-retaining hormone. So cortisol mm -hmm. makes you hold on to more water. If you're stressed in general, maybe work has been like really, really busy and really, really stressful recently, that can cause water weight gain because of the cortisol. Um, you mentioned alcohol as well. Alcohol can make you hold on to a little bit more water than usual, especially if you're drinking beer or like a cocktail. There tends to be more carbs and sugar in there. Um, also, you know, maybe yesterday you were off track. Maybe yesterday your nutrition wasn't what you wanted it to be. And maybe you went over your calorie goal. Maybe you went into a even into a small calorie surplus where you ate more calories than you burned the previous day. Well, like even if that does happen, even if you go like 500 calories over your maintenance requirements, that's still only a gain of one seventh of a pound of body fat, which to the nearest whole number is zero pounds of body fat. <laughs> it's like one seventh of a pound is nothing. All of that extra weight is just water weight. So except for that very last situation, all you need to do, so if it's like more salt or more sugar or it's poor sleep or, or you know, stress, you just need to keep going and like deal with the poor sleep, deal with the stress um, and just give it a few days. Things will go back in the right direction again. If you're in that calorie deficit, you don't need to worry. If you had that day where you were off track, well, all you need to do is get back on track. That's mm -hmm. literally all you need to do. Go back to your regular way of eating. Don't jump on the elliptical. Pretend, sorry, act as if yesterday didn't happen. Eat and train as if yesterday did not happen. If you had a training session scheduled, cool, still do it. If you didn't have one scheduled, don't don't make one. If you know if you were aiming to get seven to ten thousand steps that day, 
get seven to ten thousand. Don't aim for twenty thousand. You don't need to. You literally just need to go to get back on track, and then it will take care of itself. And that water weight may take five or six days to go away. Just got to be patient, and it will go away. That's such an important mindset shift, I think. Of instead of oh, I ruined my diet, and now I've I'm doomed forever. Mm. I've gained a pound overnight just to get back on track. I love that you talk about that often. What are some other super important mindset shifts that you find help clients see success long term? Um, we've covered about like you know like not exercising for the calorie burn and i think Mm -hmm. the other really big one is to realize that no food is good and no food is bad like like it's food there's no morality when it comes to food right um Mm -hmm. like food is food there's no good food there's no bad food food is either more nutritious or it's less nutritious and i'm like very specifically using that language because even if you use you know you, you use good and bad in your head just talking to yourself you're still going to feel the same way. If you can remove any morality, you can remove shame, you can remove any of that guilt behind food. Like that's such a big shift. Like just realizing that, you know, as long as I'm getting like around 80-ish percent of my calories from nutritious food, I can still get 20% from less nutritious food on like a daily basis if you want to. So you can eat dessert every day if you want to. You can have a glass of wine with dinner every day if you want to. Um, it's completely up to you. The main thing is, did you finish the day in a calorie deficit? That's the biggest mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. Do you recommend for most clients that they count calories or do you have a way of clients being in a deficit without counting calories? That depends on the client. Yeah. So, I, I feel that tracking calories is the most accurate way of like knowing what you're eating, but you don't have to do it. So I would say that probably 90% of my clients track calories, um, but I always give people the option. And I talk to them about the different options that we can use. And I, I tell them, look, I think that tracking calories is the most accurate, but but you don't have to follow that. You can try these other methods and see how you feel. So the other way, well, there are two other ways that I, that I guide people. Um, first of all, using your hand as a guide for like what an approximate portion size of, of a meal should look like if you don't want to track calories. So you look at your hand and you eat one to two palms of protein per meal. Um, you make a fist. You eat one to two fists of uh, vegetables or, or berries, for example, per meal. Um, You cup your hand and you can eat one cupped hand of carbs or, you know, a higher um, carb fruit, like a banana, for example. And then you look at your thumb, you eat like, you know, around one thumb's worth of fat per meal. Now, if you're using um, cooking oil, if the protein that you're using is like, you know, has a good amount of fat in it, like, um, you know, whatever, like salmon or chicken thigh, for example, then you don't need to worry so much about the about you know having an entire extra thumbs worth of fat. Maybe you think, okay, well, the cooking oil and the fat in the meat is going to cover the fat. Um, but something that simple is actually surprisingly effective. And the clients I have who follow those guidelines and do it consistently see results. Like almost yeah. as, I would say, as good a result as the people who are tracking calories. Right. 
no, I love that. And again, it's the individualized approach, the flexible mm. approach that some people may be really triggered by counting calories in a nap. Maybe they've sure. done that for years. For sure. Same thing with using the scale. Yep. Um, and I, yeah, I love that you individualize it. It's awesome. I'd love to talk about uh, motivation mm. because I've also seen you post about this. <laughs> and what if I think so many of my clients, and I know that you feel this way as well, are mm. waiting for just motivation to strike. Yeah. And they're thinking, they're scrolling social media and they're seeing mm. stuff that you're posting and that I'm posting and that other people are posting and they're thinking, oh, everybody else is so motivated to eat well and to exercise. And I just don't feel that way. And so mm. there's something wrong with me or, you know, I then the whole blame and, you know, feeling guilty of why can't I stay motivated like these other people? Hmm. What do you have to say about motivation, especially lack of? Mm. So I'm actually not one of those coaches who thinks that motivation is overrated it's somewhat overrated but i don't think it's actually that overrated um because when you start actually doing things so let when you take some kind of action um let's say you decide to go on a 10 minute walk today or maybe a five minute walk if, if, that, if that's what you're capable of doing right now it doesn't matter it's just important that you take some kind of action that action will produce some kind of result and in this particular example, that result might just be a general feeling of having accomplished something, which is a perfectly good result. And that result will then give you motivation to take another kind of action. Maybe it might be, okay, I'll go on another five or 10 minute walk tomorrow. And that will give you more results, that general feeling of accomplishment, which will then give you more motivation to take more action. Maybe this time you decide that you're going to whatever, you're going to eat some broccoli with dinner or something. And then the result might be like, you feel like, oh, I actually feel like pretty healthy. Like I feel way better than I usually do after eating my regular dinner. And then that's going to make you feel motivated to take another kind of action. So what you'll see is like, you should feel like pretty consistently motivated as you're doing things, but you have to actually start first. And starting is often the hardest part. In fact, it usually is the hardest part if you're finding it a struggle to actually do something. Um, so in that particular case, you, you you can't wait for motivation because you won't have done anything to give you the results to fuel the motivation. So quite okay. frankly, in this particular situation, you need discipline. Like you need to dig deep you need to think about one thing that you think, okay, well, if I make myself, I can do this. And there's usually something that we can make ourselves do. Even if it's just like going out the front door, starting your timer, watching it when it's, you know, walking away from your front door, when your watch says it's been two minutes, you turn around and you walk back. There's a four minute walk. You just did mm -hmm. something. So the, like the action that you need to take does not have to be big, but it does need to be something that is going to give you some kind of general feeling of accomplishment. Because, you know, like just standing up and walking around your room once probably won't. But taking the time to get dressed, put your shoes on, put your jacket on, go outside if it's a little bit cold, going for a five to ten minute walk, that's going to make you feel like you did something. Like that, that was actually, if you're not doing anything right now, that is great. 
that's like a really, really amazing thing to do if you're currently doing nothing. So if somebody decides who's doing nothing after listening to this, they decide to go for a five or a 10 minute walk. That is amazing. That is so great. But to actually do it, you need discipline because you're not going to feel motivation. At best, you'll you'll see something that makes you feel like a little bit inspired to do something, but you still need to dig deep and use discipline. I love thinking about it that way as action's the first step and mm. then it, it can kind of snowball that one It's action. a positive feedback loop, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it may, also makes me think of James Clear, love him, love his book, Atomic Habits. But I still haven't he, read oh, it, I need to. Oh my gosh, you are <laughs> gonna love it, this book. It's, it's one of those books my, where- It's on my bookshelf right now. Oh, it is? Yeah, yep. I mean, you're gonna highlight every sentence. It's just, <laughs> it's so phenomenal. But he talks about the idea of just getting 1% better every day. Yeah. Or even every few days, if that even seems overwhelming. For just sure. Not even aiming. I mean, a lot of the diets out there, again, we've been trained of you overhaul your entire lifestyle overnight. Mm. And it's so unsustainable. And it's not talking about a four minute walk. It's talking I see posts right now of the 75 hard. Oh my God. Where, the worst. <laughs> I mean, I do not want to do that. I want nothing <laughs> to do with 75 hard Yeah. for people listening who don't know what it is. There's just a lot of rules about like two workouts a day. One has to be outside. Um, I don't know. I a don't gallon know of water a day for everybody, which is like ridiculously arbitrary and for smaller people is actually pretty dangerous because you don't need anywhere near that much water. It's like, yeah, okay. And then if you mess up one day, you have to start all over. Mm. So if you're on day 70 and you slip, you're supposed to go back to day one. I mean, it's just a lot. So that's just one example. But people are used to going from zero to 100. And really, you just have to go from zero to one. Just what is the first smallest action I can take? Mm. And then that will inspire you to take action after that. I love that. Well, life is really hard right now. If you have like a family and you have kids and that you're having to homeschool them because of COVID and you've been sick and like you've just not been able to get back on track after Christmas because these things have just run into each other, then I mean, yeah, like I, I can't imagine how difficult that is. I literally cannot I imagine. I can't either. Like, and no. I can't imagine if there is somebody out there telling you you have to do all of the things because then yeah. you're overly stressed. You're probably yep. already overly stressed. And then you're adding more stress, which is also not helpful for weight loss. Yeah. So with one of my clients right now, I was just like, what's one thing you could do for yourself today? And she said, mm. take a really long shower. And I was like, awesome. That's great. Do that. Mm. Yeah, do a really long shower. And then yep. you get out of the shower and then maybe that action inspires you or motivates mm. you to have, you know, take some time for yourself and put together a five minute lunch that will be satisfying, you know, or maybe it doesn't, but just let's take it small and steady Mm. and be gentle with ourselves, especially, I mean, we're still in a global pandemic. So I just, I don't know who uh, these really extreme challenges are serving right now. I mean, if somebody loves it, great, go for it. Each person can do their own thing. But don't feel like you have to be doing these extreme things or have these Mm. extreme goals, I would say, especially during a pandemic. (laughs) Yeah. And also, you know, I don't know about you, but just thinking about like my typical audience and my typical clients. So most of my clients are, you know, late 30s into their 40s, which Mm -hmm. means at this point they have, you know, they have demanding jobs. They are usually married. They usually have kids. 
um, working from home. So it's not realistic to ask this kind of person to do uh, one of these extreme challenges, which may be appropriate for like a 24-year-old athlete. Right. Or just like a general, like a 24-year-old, just generally active person. Because, you know, most most people, and, and again, this is not, I'm not saying this about all 24-year-olds, obviously, but I'm just thinking about me when I was 24 and people who I know who are in their early 20s. You don't have many responsibilities when you're that age because you haven't had time to accrue them yet. Yeah. And so, I mean, the way that I would approach my nutrition and training with, you know, I've got one client who's about to turn 21. She's one of my youngest clients. So with her, I have a, you know, a phenomenally different approach for her than I do my clients in their 40s who, um, who have injured themselves before working with me. And we got to make sure that we don't aggravate anything or bring that back, um, who don't sleep very well because the kids are waking them up. It's a totally different approach. And their training is very, very different. I think you had a post one day, I think it was you, where you said something like the, the recommendations you're giving to a 20-something person cannot be the same as the ones you're giving to somebody in their 40s. Was that I you? I think I've said something like that before, yeah. yeah. So like if you're like, I think I said if you're like over 40 with a with a job and two kids and a, and a pet and you haven't slept well since, since the late 90s, then, you know, yeah. like my, my approach, like you shouldn't demand – 12,000 steps and six tough workers of yourself per week. But how about three workouts and 7,000 steps? Exactly. Yeah. I love that. Uh, as I said, I've read most of your, <laughs> deep dive into most of your stuff. I'm curious. I love this question because I know mm. I've changed my mind about different things, but have you changed your mind about anything in terms of nutrition or exercise or weight loss over the years? Anything oh, that we haven't covered? Everything, everything. Yeah. Like literally yeah. like all of the stuff that I tell people not to do, I know not to do it because I did it. I cut yeah. out carbs and I cut out sugar and I stopped drinking and I relied on HIT and I relied on cardio. Um, and I thought that, you know, carbs would make you gain weight and that alcohol would make you gain weight even in a calorie deficit. I thought that calories were um, unscientific i thought that it was all about the quality of food and and zero to do with the quantity of food i thought that you know as long as you eat like a very low carb high protein diet with lots of vegetables you couldn't gain weight which is just obviously like it's all wrong so like literally i've made all the mistakes all of them yeah yeah i love that you're so candid about that (laughs) but i think it's important because we should be evolving as a society. I don't understand how people attach themselves to one idea and then mm. have that be even a part of their Instagram handle or you know their whole persona. Because what if that is debunked by mm. science in the next year? Are you going to come out and say, actually, I was wrong? Uh I don't know. I feel like that's kind of a tricky situation to put yourself in. (laughs) Yeah. And I think a lot of people who say certain things may not even wholeheartedly believe it when science starts to emerge showing otherwise, but they've got their whole brand on this Mm. one idea. So I think that can also be something, you know, that I'm aware of or that people can be aware of when scrolling social media of if somebody's saying it's this one way or the highway type of thing. And then other people are saying, no, actually research says otherwise, just, you know, be cautious because that person has a lot to lose if they come yeah. out and say 
actually, it doesn't have to be this strict keto or whatever, no Um, sugar. And what people are pointing out on keto at the moment is, you know, people who have like a history of um, like a family history of, let's say, something like heart disease or high cholesterol or like um, LDLs tend to be higher than they should be. Um, Keto can make that worse. Right. Right. Like if you're eating just like a bunch of fat and cholesterol, you're eating that, you know, the butter and bacon approach to to keto rather than the let's call it like a slightly like healthier approach to it. Then like like your cardiologist probably won't be very happy with you. Yeah, I actually reached out to uh, a researcher. Mm. I think it's Stephen Guyanet. It might be Stephen. Oh, okay, sure. Do you know him? Yeah. 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 He's big in the keto community and just does a lot of research. But he came out the other day on Twitter and said, I've been wrong about saturated fat. And Mm. he had this whole thread, I think he called it on Twitter, and just was saying, here's why, here's why, here's why, here's why. And I am happy to say that I've been wrong. And then people were commenting and saying, oh, you actually argued with me about this years ago. And he said, I'm, you know, at the time I believed something totally different and now I've changed my mind yep. and I apologize. I hope I was at least kind in my awesome. discourse. Yeah. So I reached out to him actually. And I just saw, uh, he booked to speak with me on this podcast coming up. So I'm very oh, excited right. about that one, but I'm just always so impressed when people Mm. will say I believed one thing and then in light of new research I believe something else because I just think that's the only way to go about it we want to be more evolved as new science comes out we don't want to believe the same thing I don't think it's I don't think you're weak or there's something wrong with you for saying I've changed my mind I think that's the most brilliant thing you can say (laughs) absolutely I fully agree with that yeah Well, I'm grateful for the time you've given us today. And I ask each of my guests a final question, which is, in your opinion, what does it mean to make the health investment? Hmm. When, when you asked what that was, like, I, you see, I don't want to say this in like too negative a way, but I'm just going to come out and say it. It's like, no more excuses. So, you know, you know, saying that you know you you if you know you don't have time to exercise well how many tv shows are you watching right now if you're watching three maybe just watch two at a time and then maybe use that extra time to work out you know saying something oh it's too cold to go out and walk well you can just wear more layers or you can just walk around your home or if your home isn't that big you can go onto youtube and you can type in home walking workout and you can just basically follow along walking on the spot um and, you know, like, I've, I've heard it said many, many times, and to an extent, this is true, like, eating healthy is expensive. And I get it, like, if you're eating, like, you know, organic meat, and you're buying a bunch of fresh organic vegetables, and that kind of thing, then absolutely, it's going to be expensive, like, no doubt about that. But you can eat healthy on a budget, you just go to Google, and you type, healthy eating on a budget and you can find like a lot of resources for how to actually make these kinds of like nutritional changes that i'm sure you're speaking about before and that we touched on um within your budget like you know things like you know rice and beans and frozen vegetables and a little bit of meat and some spices and you can make a very like inexpensive meal that's super healthy and pretty high in protein too especially with combining those rice and beans um but again, like, you know, I, I, I get that, like, 
inflation that's happening right now. I understand that the food prices are increasing. So like, there's no doubt that eating healthy without spending a lot of money is for sure difficult. Like, There's no argument there. Um, it's possible, though. It's possible to, to eat healthy without you know, drastically increasing your, your food budget and pre- hopefully without actually increasing it at all. So I guess what it comes down to is, you know, like realizing that, you know, some of the stories that we're telling ourselves about why we can't do X, Y, or Z may not be true. If we have like an honest appraisal of our time and our schedule and what we're actually doing with that time, then I think a lot of things like can be worked out and it will require sacrifice. Right. Like, well, that's what an investment is. Right. Like you're sacrificing, you know, the current benefits of having that that time or that money for the future benefits that you want. So like, there's always going to be some level of sacrifice with any kind of investment. So, you know, hopefully I've said that without um, without sounding too discouraging, because I, I, I quite the opposite. I mean it in a very encouraging way. Like you have full control most of the time. Most of us have like full control over what we choose to do with our time and with our money. Totally. And I think the way you phrased it and set it up in everything we've talked about, no excuses not to go on a four minute walk, right? You're not asking Mm. to go on a four hour walk. Exactly. Yeah. If somebody was coming on here saying all these extreme things, then I could come up with a lot of excuses of why I don't want to do those. But if you're you're saying do this one small change, the tiniest, tiniest thing you can think of, um, there's really no excuses not to do that tiny thing. Yeah, and I will acknowledge that the whole thing about like we have the same 24 hours in a day. No, we don't. That's blatantly yeah. untrue. Like if you have a, a demanding job at kids and, and pets and all that kind of thing, we do not all have the same 24 hours. That is just like simply false. <laughs> but we do have more control than we realize, especially when we switch our mindset, less of that all or nothing approach, more of that, okay, well, what is like a very simple thing that I can do today? And like, what can I add on to that? And how can I change what else I do in my free time to fit these other things in? Because I recognize that there is definitely a benefit that I want. And I'm just going to have to make that sacrifice. I love that. I'm, again, so grateful that you shared all of your wisdom with us today. And I would love if you could share where listeners can follow and find you. Um, I am on Instagram at Rosentrain, R-O-S-E-N-T-R-A-I-N. Um, that's the main place I post. I'm, uh, my website is rosentrain.com. And if you go to rosentrain.com forward slash newsletter, I put out a weekly newsletter talking more about the kind of things that we've been discussing today. Awesome. I will link all of those up in the show notes. And Amazing. thank you so much for being here today. I can't wait to stay connected beyond the podcast. Thank you, Brooke. Thank you so much. Well, that's all for today. Thanks again for joining me here on the Health Investment Podcast. I'm so grateful for each and every one of my listeners. On your way out, remember to hit subscribe so that you never miss an episode. See you next week. All content in this podcast was created for general informational purposes only by a non-physician. None of the content should serve as a substitute for professional medical advice treatment, or diagnosis. Always consult a qualified health provider with any questions regarding a medical condition and before making changes to your diet, lifestyle, and or exercise programs.
Do not disregard any professional medical advice you have received or postpone seeking such advice because of something you heard on this podcast.